With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. This show is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash Elder Scrolls Lorecast. Robots Radio presents The Elder Scrolls Lorecast. Welcome to the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, a place where the Elder Scrolls community can come together to discuss the boundaries of our knowledge about the universe of the Elder Scrolls. Like Uriel Septim the fifth invading Akaviri, the uh, <laughs> the new medication has been uh, invading my brain and making it very difficult for me to do the regular live episodes of this show. Um, <laughs> last week, I was uh, surviving a um, uh, the common cold, and it was it had me under the weather, and I've been adjusting to some new med- medication, and was hoping to do our patron. Uh, chat episode this week and Lotus of Doom also had a family obligation so we decided to scrap the live episode this week and I am now the day after feeling a little bit better and decided to get you guys a weird and wacky episode on my own again this week in order to make sure that you have an episode to listen to so I'm putting together something else for you and we will be back next week hopefully with a live episode and I'm I'm expecting to do something I think you guys will find very interesting. Uh, we're going to have Aramithius on, who does the Written in Uncertainty podcast, which uh, a lot of you guys are familiar with. He does he goes into some of the really deep lore st- stuff, and we I'm hoping to bring in also some of our patrons in order to uh, poke and prod some of the weird and wacky lore that he's going to be, be bringing in on that episode and kind of mix it up and make it a a fun kind of double kind of episode. But for this week, I want to throw you into a uh, kind of a tinfoil hat theory that's been floating around on the internet for the last mm, maybe 10 years or so. And excuse me, Mike, I'm still still recovering a little bit from this uh, this uh, this cold. So if you hear it in my voice a little bit, I apologize. But what am I talking about? Well, Uriel Septim V. And if you're familiar with the Septim dynasty, the fifth of the Septim dynasty is the one who is known for being a warrior almost on par with Tiber Septim, uh, Talos. He is the one who invaded Akavir and supposedly died there. And there is... There are some theories out there that he, in fact, is not dead or that there might be a little bit more going on with this story. So why would that be the case? Well, there's a few different little bits of information going on about this. First of all, there the um, 
I guess the, the biggest bit of information that we can pull is the fact that when Bethesda was working on the Elder Scrolls uh, Skyrim, it came to light that Todd Howard was considering the idea that the main character, the protagonist in the story was a returned or or at least uh, if not the main character, that the returned Uriel Septim V was uh, going to play into the events of Skyrim. This idea of a returned conqueror coming back from Akavir and somehow those events would play into what was going on and maybe that would usher in the dragons coming back or, or something like that. That was one of the ideas that was being tossed around because who knows dragons in Akavir, that could be a thing coming back across the ocean, all of that kind of stuff. And what if that was the case that maybe you were Uriel Septim the fifth returning? What if you had been turned into a vampire and you were returning and that's why you were still around the idea that the Sayesi were a vampiric people what if you didn't die when you were across the ocean, but were turned into a vampire and were successful and had lorded over that entire continent for however many hundreds of years and were now coming back as a successful conqueror to Skyrim with forces in order to reconquer uh, you know, or come back as a successful ruler to a continent that has basically forgotten you and thought you were dead. That would be a very interesting storyline. But as we know, that is not the way that the story of Skyrim unfolded. And it's not the story that we got. But that doesn't mean that that story couldn't reemerge in the future. Right. So people have played with this idea. You get posts on Reddit like, could Uriel Septim 5 still be alive? And this is a post from six years ago. And uh, there's uh, a user on Reddit, um, you, uh, um, every user on Reddit starts with you slash PV, I'm sorry, P-R-V-O-R-O-D, who says, Uriel Septon the fifth has been, had been seen dying, shot by arrows or something, by two Imperial soldiers during the Battle of Ioneth, which is true. As far as I know, no body was recovered, which is also true. So the question about him being dead is still open. Now we know, at least we are told, that the Sayasi are vampiric snake people. They could infect the Emperor with vampirism to keep him alive and extend his life. Why, you ask? Well, maybe just to get information about Tamriel. We know who knows more about the Empire than the Emperor himself. They could want him for another reason, too. The worst en enemy of the Sayasi are the Kapotun. N that's assuming some stuff there, but sure. The ruler of the Kapotun is Tashraka, the tiger dragon. Dragon, having Uriel, a dragonborn, around is like saying, our pet can eat your soul. Stay away. <laughs> Uriel lit the dragon fires, so he is blessed by Akatosh, meaning that with the right approach, he can learn how to absorb dragon souls or shout. Say yes, he know that and want him as a kryptonite for Kapotun's leader. So obviously this is a stretch, right? But the idea that he would be very useful to them makes some sense. And we know from the events of Elder Scrolls Online that the Sayesi have in the past invaded Tamriel during the uh, early Second Era, I believe it was. And they, they have an understanding of the rulers of the Empire and 
dragonborn and, and those kinds of things. So it could make sense that they would go, oh, this this could be a very advantageous uh, individual to have on our side. Why don't we keep him around? So let's dig into the actual events as we have them. And in the um, there's a few different documents that we actually have of the events of the third era and it's around 290 and that's the battle of Ionith and before the battle of Ionith we have the invasion and the successful uh, conquest of these different islands between Tamriel and Akavir and some of this is laid out in a brief history of the empire but most of this actually comes from the report Disaster at Ionith, which is a document that you can read in Oblivion and Skyrim. And I wanted to I wanted to actually take the time in this episode to read through all of this and get through all the detail here. And in doing this, I, I always want to make sure that you guys listen to this with the perspective of these things are always written as always as always with a specific purpose in mind these things are written with a purpose from a perspective with an agenda and maybe that agenda is to convey the truth maybe the agenda is to sway somebody's opinion maybe the agenda is to convey something that didn't actually happen right so we always have to keep that in mind so Let's just, the document is fairly long, but it's not super long. So let's just go through it and see what it says. So part one, preparations. The emperor's plans for the invasion of Akavir were laid in the 2070s when he began the conquest of the small island kingdoms that lie between Tamriel and Akavir with the fall of the Black Harbor in, and of course I'm going to get some of these names wrong, Asraniet, Asraniet? in 2082, Uriel V was already looking ahead to the ultimate prize. He immediately ordered extensive renovations to the port, which would serve as the marshalling point for the invasion force and as the main supply source throughout the campaign. At this time, he also began the construction of the many large ocean-going transports that would be needed for the final crossing to Akavir, in which the navy was previously deficient. Thus, it can be seen that the Emperor's preparations for the invasion were laid well in advance before even the conquest of Esraniet was complete and was not a sudden whim, as some have charged. So, off the bat, the idea that he was laying plans to get to Akavir is very clear. He wasn't just picking off these islands willy-nilly, right? There's there's a reason for this. You have to lay supply lines. He needed the individual islands in order to have a supply chain to the other continent. You need that. That has to work. So he, he'd set that up from the beginning. When Prince Bashaman yielded Esraniet to imperial authority in 284, the emperor's full attention could be devoted to planning for the Akaviri campaign. Naval expeditions were dispatched in 285 and 286 to scout the sea lanes and coastlands of Akavir and various imperial intelligence agents. 
both magical and mundane were employed to gather information. On the basis of all this information, the kingdom of the Sayesi in the southwest of Akavir was selected as the initial target for the invasion. Meanwhile, the emperor was gathering his expeditionary force. A new Far East fleet was created for the campaign, which for a time dwarfed the rest of the navy. It is said to be the most powerful fleet ever assembled in the history of Tamriel. So they had a gigantic fleet created for this. So this wasn't a small undertaking. This was a very serious thing. The 5th, 7th, 10th, and 14th legions were selected for the initial landing, and the 9th and 17th to follow as reinforcements once the beachhead was secured. While this may seem to the layman as relatively small fraction of the army's total manpower, it must be remembered that this expeditionary force would have to be maintained at the end of a long and tenuous supply line. In addition, the Emperor and the Army Command believed that the invasion would not be strongly opposed, at least at first. Perhaps most crucially, the Navy had only enough heavy transport capacity to move four legions at a time. It would be noted here that the Commission does not find fault with the Emperor's preparations for the invasion based on the information available prior to invasion, which, while obviously deficient in hindsight, great effort had been made to accumulate. The Commission believes that the Emperor did not act reckless, recklessly or imprudently. Some have argued that the expeditionary force was too small. The commission believes that, on the contrary, even if shipping could have been found to transport and supply more legions, an impossibility without crippling the trade of the entire empire, this would have merely added to the scale of the disaster. It would not have averted it. Neither could the rest of the empire be denuded of legions. The memory of the Cameron usurper was still fresh, and the emperor believed and this commission agrees that the security of the empire precluded a larger concentration of military force outside of Tamriel. If anything, the commission believes that the expeditionary force was too large. Despite the creation of two new legions during his reign and the recreation of a fifth, a recreation of a fifth, the loss of the expeditionary force left the empire in a dangerously weak position relative to the provinces as the current situation makes all too clear. The suggestion that the invasion of Akavir was beyond the Empire's current strength, even if the Emperor could have fielded and maintained a larger force in Akavir, the Empire may have disintegrated behind him. So notice that this is this is done in the uh, the framework of a commission that is criticizing or criticizing in the terms of not necessarily how we use the phrase criticizing today with the assumption that you are um, laying blame, but criticizing as in like critiquing what is happening and trying to determine what what happened, and why it went wrong. Right. This is a like a postmortem on the events. So part two, the invasion of Akavir. The expeditionary force left Black Harbor on the 23rd Reign's Hand, 288 and with fair weather landed in Akavir after six weeks at sea. The landing site was a small Sayesi port at the mouth of a large river, chosen for its proximity to Tamriel, as, way, as well as its location in a fertile river valley, giving easy access to the interior as well as good foraging for the army. All went well at first. The Sayesi had abandoned the town when the expeditionary force approached, so they took possession of it and renamed it Septimia, 
the first colony in the new imperial province of Akavir. While the engineers fortified the town and expanded the port facilities to serve the Far East fleet, the emperor marched inland with two legions. The surrounding land was reported to be rich, well-watered fields, and meeting no resistance, the army took the next city upriver, also abandoned. This was refounded as Ionith, and the emperor established his headquarters there, being much larger than Septimia, 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 <laughs> and better located to dominate the surrounding countryside. The expeditionary force had yet to meet any real resistance, although the legions were constantly shadowed by mounted enemy patrols, which prevented any but large scouting parties from leaving the main body of the army. One thing the emperor sorely lacked was cavalry, due to the limited space of the transport fleet, although for the time being the battle mages made up for this with magical reconnaissance. The emperor now sent out convoys to try to contact the Sayesi king or whoever ruled the land, but his messengers never returned. In retrospect, the commission believes that valuable time was wasted in this effort while the army was stalled at Ironeth, which could have been better spent in advancing quickly while the enemy was still, apparently surprised by the invasion. However, the emperor believed at this time that the Sayesi could be overawed by the emperor's power and he might win a province by negotiating with no need for serious fighting. Meanwhile, the 4th Legion were busy building a road between Septimia and Ionith, setting up fortified guard posts along the river and fortifying both cities' defenses, activities which were would serve them well later. Due to their lack of cavalry, scouting was limited and communication between the two cities constantly threatened by enemy raiders, with which the Legion were still unable to come to grips. The original plan had been to bring the two reinforcing legions across as soon as the initial landing had secured a port, but the fateful decision was now taken to delay their arrival and instead began using the fleet to transport colonists. The emperor and the council agreed that, due to the complete abandonment of the conquered area by its native population, colonists were needed to work the field so that the expeditionary force um, would not have to rely entirely on the fleet for supplies. In addition, unrest had broken out in Ness, or I'm sorry, <laughs> Neslia, another name, <laughs> athwart the supply route to Akavir, and the council believed the 9th and 17th legions would be better used in repacifying those territories and securing the expeditionary supply lines. So they're having some issues with the actual uh, supply line pathways and and supplying everybody with things. So they're trying to maintain everything along the way and also manage the fields in these new areas in order to give the legions the food that they need in order to feed them. The civilian colonists and their supplies began arriving in Septimia in mid-Hearthfire, and they took over the preparation of the fields, which had been started by the legionnaires for a spring crop. A number of cavalry mounts were also brought over at this time, and the raids on the two imperial colonies subsequently fell off. Sayesi emissaries also finally arrived in Ionith, purportedly to begin peace negotiations. 
and the expeditionary force settled in for what was expected to be a quiet winter. At this time, the council urged the emperor to return to Tamriel with the fleet to deal with many pressing matters of the empire while the army was in winter quarters. But the emperor decided that it would be best to remain in Akavir. This turned out to be fortunate because a large portion of the fleet, including the emperor's flagship, was destroyed by an early winter storm during the homeward voyage. The winter storm season of 288-289 of was unusually prolonged and ex uh, exceptionally severe and prevented the fleet from returning to Akavir as planned with additional supplies. This was reported to the Emperor via Battle Mage, and it was agreed that the expeditionary force could survive on what supplies it had on hand until the spring. So this is a, a turn of events for the worse. Um, so let's summarize what's going on. They've landed on the continent. They've taken basically two cities without any conflict. They've basically been abandoned. The SASA have pulled back and they've gone, holy crap, who are all these armies coming in? We're just going to let them take the land. And they've done nothing about it. Basically, the only thing that the empire has fought at, to this point are their own difficulties in managing their own supply lines and the territories that they've already taken. They've brought over their own settlers, basically, to manage the land in order to maintain food for their soldiers. And it has now gone into winter. And historically, armies don't fight during the winter because it's very difficult to fight and travel and maintain supplies during the winter. So everybody hunkers down during the winter and they wait till spring and then they continue their expeditionary movements during the spring and summer and fall. But during this winter, it was actually very, very harsh. So they lose a lot of their ships and the emperor ends up more or less stranded over on a completely different continent. At the same time, there's a lot of other things going on in Tamriel, which we know is traditionally a very difficult continent full of lots of different races and lots of different peoples and lots of different subgroups that are all still vying for independence from the empire. So there's a lot going on here. So <laughs> conquering an entire other continent full of lots of different groups of people is not an easy task. And now it's become even more daunting because the weather has turned against them. So that's where we're at. So why don't we take a break and we're going to find out what happens now that things are kind of becoming more difficult before they've even had to fight an enemy. We'll be right back. The skies are marked with numberless sparks, each a fire and every one a sign. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. Have you ever wondered how deep the Elder Scrolls lore rabbit hole goes? 
Have you got a grasp of the basics and want to find out more about the universe? Written in Uncertainty is here to help you. We'll be mixing in philosophy, theology, and whatever other theory is useful with Elder Scrolls texts to untangle some of the biggest questions in the series, like what are Dragon Breaks? How does Chim work? Where did the Dwemer go? And more. Check us out at writteninuncertainty.com or find Written in Uncertainty on any podcatcher. Thanks for listening and catch you later in the grey maybe of Tamriel. All right. So here we are. We're in the middle of the show. Thank you, everybody, for hanging on during these uh, odd, but not too odd, weird and wacky episodes <laughs> where it's just me and you again. Who who knew? Who knew it would be just the two of us or three of us or however many of us there are in the room? I don't know. Maybe you're working with your coworkers. Um, but this is the part of the show where I get to thank our patrons, all 47 of you guys. Thank you for being here with us really do appreciate the support. It's because of you guys that I'm able to do this full time. And especially those of you who uh, sign up as tier four, uh, I'm sorry, tier five or tier six patrons who get a call out every month, including Noodle Al Dente and Daniel O. Thank you so much to you two and everyone else who joins me every, every week. And you guys are, you guys are just the best. Thank you so much. If We've done anything with this show to help you through your workday, through your workouts, through your commutes. Please consider going to patreon.com slash Elder Scrolls Lorecast and chipping in a few bucks and seeing what you can get, like ad-free episodes or the extended versions of the episodes where me and Lotus and the, the people during the live stream are kind of chatting either before or after the show, sometimes about the concepts that we're talking about on the show, sometimes about weird stuff and we're just being silly. It's always a good time, and there's lots of those episodes now on the Patreon that you can go back if you're if you haven't listened through everything yet, and you want the extended versions for so many of of those episodes. They're all available. Just a few extra bucks. That's what you get. It's it's really good stuff. So thank you to everybody who supports the show. You guys are the best. All right, let's move on with the rest of the show. Yes, yes, you're entirely brilliant. Conquering madness and all that. Blah 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 blah. All right, so things are getting rough. Um, the winter weather in Akavir was much more severe than expected due to the supply problems and the addition of thousands of citizens. The expeditionary force was tight on rations. To make matters worse, the Sayasi raiders returned in force and harried any foraging and scouting parties outside the walls of these two cities. Several watch forts on the road between Septima and Ionith were captured during blizzards. So things actually during this wintertime really start to pick up and the rest had to be abandoned beyond what, what they already had. So they kind of end up huddling in these two cities. As a result, communication between the two cities had to be conducted entirely by magical means, a continuing strain on the Legion's battle mages. So according to this document, on the 5th of Sun's Dawn, a large entourage of Sayese arrive at Ionoth claiming to bring a peace offer from the Sayese king. That night, these treacherous envoys murdered the guards at one of the city gates and let in a strong party of their comrades who were waiting outside the city walls. Their clear intention was to assassinate the emperor, foiled only by the vigilance and courage of troops of the 10th who were guarding his palace. Once the alarm was raised, the CSA inside the city were hunted down and killed to the last man. Needless to say, this was the end of negotiations between the emperor and the CSE. So the emperor, as we know, was trying to do some peace negotiations, or at least was claiming to. 
And then this just completely ended that. The arrival of spring only brought worse troubles. Instead of the expected spring grains, a hot, dry wind began to blow from the east, continuing with varying strength through the entire summer. The crops failed, and even the river, which in the previous year had been navig navigable, that's a good word, by small boats far upstream of Ioneth, was completely dried up by sun's height. It is unknown if this was due to a previous unknown weather pattern unique to Agavir, or if the Sayasi manipulated the weather through magical means. And I would posit here, if some higher power, whether Daedric or Adric maybe even, was trying to keep this from happening. The commission leans towards the former conclusions, as there is no direct evidence of the Sayasi possessing such fearsome arcane power, but the later possibility cannot entirely be ruled out. Due to prolonged bad weather, the supply fleet was late in setting out from Black Harbor. It later, uh, I'm sorry, it finally left port in early Second Seed, but was again severely mauled by storms and limped into Septimia, eight weeks later, much reduced. Because of the increasingly desperate supply situation in Akavir, the Emperor dispatched most of his battle mage corps with the fleet to assist in weathering the storms which seemed likely to continue all summer. So the storms have continued from winter through most of the years this so far. At this time, the council urged the emperor to abandon the invasion and return to Tamriel with the expeditionary force, but he again refused, noting that the fleet was no longer large enough to transport all four legions at once. The commission agrees that leaving one or more legions behind in Akavir to await the return of the fleet would have damaged army morale. But the commission also notes that the loss of one legion would have been preferable to the loss of the entire expeditionary force. It is the unanimous opinion of the commission that this was the last point at which complete disaster might have been averted. So this was the like final moments of like, this is where we could have pulled back. Once the decision was made to send the fleet back for reinforcements and supplies, events proceeded to their inevitable conclusion. From this point on, much less is known about what transpired in Akavir. With most of the battle mages assisting the fleet, communication between the expeditionary force and Tamriel was limited, especially as the situation in Akavir worsened and the remaining battle mages had their powers stretched to the limit, attending to all the needs of the legions. However, it appears that the Sayese may have also been actively interfering with the mages in some unknown manner. Some of the mages in Akavir reported their powers being abnormally weak and the mages of the War College in Cyrodiil, who were handling communications for the council, reported problems linking up with their compatriots in Akavir, even between master and pupil of long training. The commissions urged that the War College make a particular study of the arcane powers of the Sayesi should the Empire ever come into conflict with Akavir again. So it seems that there may be more going on with the, the magical abilities of the Akavir than the Akaviri than otherwise would have been known. What is known is that the Emperor marched out of Ioneth in mid-sun's height, leaving only small garrisons to hold the cities. He had learned that the Sayese were massing their forces out the other, or I'm sorry, on the other side of the mountain's range to the north, and he intended to smash the army before it could gather full strength and capture their supplies, of which he had, or uh, in which he was in desperate need of. This rapid advance seems to have taken the Sayasi by surprise, 
and the expeditionary force crossed the mountains and fell on their camp, routing the CSE army and capturing its leader, a noble of some kind. But the emperor was soon forced to retreat, and the legion suffered heavily on their retreat to Ionith. The emperor now found himself besieged in Ionith, cut off from the small garrison of Septimia, which was also besieged. By this time, it seems that the efforts of the few remaining battle mages were devoted entirely to creating water to keep the army alive, a skill not normally emphasized at the War College. The fleet had arrived safely back to Black Harbor thanks to the Battle Mage Corps, but all attempts to return to Akavir were frustrated by a series of ever more savage storms that battered Esraniet through the rest of 289. The Council's last contact with the Emperor was an early frostfall. By evening star, the Council was extremely worried about the situation in Akavir and ordered the fleet to sail regardless of the risk. Despite the continued storms, the fleet managed to press on to Akavir. Hope was raised when contact was made with the Emperor's battle mage, who reported that Ionith still held out. Plans were quickly laid for the expeditionary force to break out of Ionith and fall back to Septimia, where the fleet would meet them. This was the last direct contact of the expeditionary force. The fleet arrived at Septimia to find its garrison under savage assault from large Sayese army. The battle mages with the fleet threw back the enemy long enough for the survivors to embark and the fleet to withdraw. The few survivors of the expeditionary force who reached Septimia told how the emperor had led the army out of Ionith by night two days earlier, successfully breaking through the enemy lines and then being surrounded by overwhelming forces on the road to Septimia. They told of a heroic last stand by the emperor and the 10th legion, which allowed a remnant of the 14th to reach Septimia. Two survivors of the 10th arrived in Septimia that night, having slipped through the enemy lines during their undisciplined victory celebration. These men confirmed having seen the Emperor die, cut down by enemy arrows as he rallied the 10th's shield wall. And that's it. And the rest of this document goes on about reasons why this wasn't a good idea and things they could have done differently. But that's the last we know about Uriel Septim V. That he was cut down by arrows. And the last we hear is from two people who supposedly snuck through the enemy lines while they were celebrating. Or were they released by the enemies with words that were false? Is he captured? Did he survive? There, there could be many other versions of this story. We know that the battle mages weren't able to get words back. We know that the ships that returned were limited on survivors. The events that happened in those last few days were clouded by the chaos of the conflict any number of things could have happened differently this is one of those things where the events of history are told by the survivors 
but the way the events of history are remembered are remembered completely differently by so many different people. And the stories take on their own versions. So what really happened to Uriel Septim V? And why was it so important to conquer Akavir? And why did he feel that he had enough strength to do so? It seemed like it was a relatively easy... Um, I mean... I was going to say, it seems like it was, it was like a, re a relatively easy yeah, ability. Like what's the right word here? The Akaviri forces had a relatively easy time pushing them back out off of the, the mainland. But I mean, you could say that the weather had something to do with it too. Yes, there's that. It is always hard for a conquesting army to gain a foothold on on land but that wasn't the difficulty here they got the foothold that part was easy the hard part for them was after they got the foothold and they already had the armies on the land the reason why they were doing this in the like the the general understanding is that the um septum dynasty had retaken power over the cameron usurpers and so they were trying to show that they were still powerful that they were still able to do bold and powerful things and so even having some success at this at all would have shown power they didn't need to conquer an entire other continent they also didn't didn't need to have the emperor over there managing it all on his own he could have sent generals to do that why was it so important for him to be over there or to continue staying there when his advisors were saying, come back home? It seems like there's more going on here. Now, there's there's echoes of Roman history in this, and you could probably point to many different things going on in the history of Roman engagements and Roman emperors leading armies in the field in order to gain glory and those kinds of things that happened a lot. But what was the real story? And is he still over there? And why haven't we heard anything from the Sayasi since this? What's really going on? I wonder if we're going to get more of this in Elder Scrolls six. I think it would be really cool if we get echoes of some of this in the future. I'd love to hear what you think about this. Feel free to join us on the Robots Radio Discord. Let me know what you think. And um, I look forward to uh, seeing you guys during the live shows. We'll be back next week, Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash robots radio. And we'll be chatting with Aramithius. He's, he's going to be tackling some of the weird and wacky lore stuff that we haven't covered yet. And we'll be doing it potentially with some of our patrons, some of our tier four and higher patrons who might be joining us for that episode as well. So we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining me, everybody. Talk to you guys later. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Elder Scrolls Lorecast. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please reach out to us at elderscrollslorecast at gmail.com or on Twitter at ESO Lorecast. 
I really appreciate you listening, and I'd love to hear from you soon. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. In a world where solid-state electronics and vacuum tubes are still meta, people never stop loving atomic-powered everything. A chosen 500 stepped inside a subterranean vault to be spared the nuclear horror of the inevitable Great War. 25 years later, they emerge after the fallout settles to retake Appalachia. Among them, two former rivals whose blood feud will tear West Virginia apart and their epic struggle for survival. Chad, a vault bro who has a strength of 15, an intelligence of two, and is a complete wasteland dickhead. Simon, a complicated anti-hero who chooses light and hope, but accidentally becomes a cannibal and wakes up naked and afraid with a Scorch Beast Queen after a date goes terribly wrong. What? I mean, it's a wild wasteland, right? This dark humor radio drama will have you driving off the road and crawling out from under the fallout. Two men. One wasteland. And so many nukes. Chad, a Fallout 76 podcast. Rated R. Now streaming on your holotape player podcasty thing. Do you like adventure? Yeah. Do you like laughing? Uh, yeah. Would you like to listen to a group of people you don't know play D&D and reference retro pop culture you vaguely remember? Um... Excellent. You're going to love Committee Quest. We play D&D in the world of Amarin. We use adventure modules and supplements made by people in the community. We also have a sweet synthwave backing track. Come and join us on our adventure. Volume 1 has been completed. Volume 2 coming the end of January. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey all you wannabe raiders out there, it's your bestest girl Rose coming at you up from top of the world. Now it's time for your local traffic and weather. Welp, looks like almost everyone's still dead, so traffic is at a standstill. <laughs> And now a word from our sponsor, because they're totally not bribing me with massive amounts of chems or anything. Seems as the stuffed shirts are back at the White Springs playing games with that total loser modus. But hey, if that's your thing, whatever! So if all you squares wanted to hear more, totally, sort of, but maybe not boring stories about rebuilding Appalachia and being all goody-two-shoes, Definitely not Raiders. Check out this thing they call a podcast. The Modus Files. Whatever that's supposed to be. On Spotify, iTunes, and wherever else you listen to those things. Double Ugg. They're not paying me enough for this. Till later. This is Rose. Raiders rule. Hopefully this is the last time you hear this ad, because with Chime Checking Account, features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, 
you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts. Or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. That's chime.com goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details.